1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor.
2: And this is the hallmark characteristic of the Lord. He emptied himself. So in in these verses, 15 and 16, he emptied himself of his right to protect himself. Okay. In John 6:15, John 6:15, he emptied himself of his right to become king, to become king. John 6:15, John 6:15. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. In Psalm 20. 2, 6, Psalm two six, and Mark 9.12, he emptied himself of his right to receive the praise of Israel. To receive the praise of Israel. It says in, in Psalm two six, Psalm two six, he said about himself, I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Despised of the people. In Mark 9.12, 9, 9, he said, the son of man, that he must suffer many things and be set at naught. So in Isaiah 49.7, Isaiah 49.7, he had the right to be accepted by his people Israel, but he emptied himself of his right to be accepted by his people Israel, as it says in Isaiah 49.7, Isaiah 49.7, then saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to him whom man despiseth to him whom the nation abhorreth, I can't ever get over that. He is the one who man despises and whom the nation of Israel absolutely abhors, abhors. I really do try to figure out why I cannot get uh, Israeli citizenship under the right of return, which gives the right of every Jew, no matter where he comes from, to become a citizen of Israel. And it's really just because I said in the interview that I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus Christ. And this verse, to him whom the nation abhorreth, that name, Jesus Christ, you know, even though I was raised in this prejudice also, it's like this. This is the way I see it. When you stand and you look back on the history of the Jewish people as a path, their history as a path, What you see on that path is blood. The history of the Jewish people is a path that is lined in blood, Jewish blood. Blood, blood, blood. Everybody is shedding Jewish blood. The Egyptians shed Jewish blood, the Babylonians, the Romans, the Greeks, the Russians, the Spaniards with the Inquisition, the Nazis, the Arabs, who hasn't shed Jewish blood? Just blood there. And so you look back on it and you say why? Why, how, does, how does the Jewish people, how does Israel, how do the Jews see the reason for why the historical path is paved in Jewish blood? Why? And the reason is this verse, him whom the nation abhorreth, the reason is Jesus Christ. That's what they believe. The reason that they have all this blood, well, particularly from 2,000 years forward, is Jesus Christ. Everybody, in the name of Jesus Christ, we kill you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and so forth. And that's what is behind this verse in Isaiah 49, 7. He is him whom the nation abhorreth. abhorreth. Okay, I digressed, I'm sorry. Now, in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, Isaiah 50, verse 6, and Psalm twenty-two fourteen 14, and 16, Psalm 22, 14, and 16, he emptied himself of the wholeness of his body, just the, the, the health, the wholeness of his body. It says in Isaiah 50, verse six, Isaiah 50, verse six, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Psalm twenty two fourteen. 14, Psalm 22, 14, all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted in the midst of my bowels. And in uh, Psalm 22, 16, Psalm 22, 16, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, in Isaiah 52, 14, Isaiah 52, 14, and Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah 53, 2, he emptied himself of, of his appearance, how he looked. It says in Isaiah 52, 14, as many were astonished at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man his form more than the sons of men. In Isaiah 53, 2, Isaiah 53, 2, when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he emptied himself of his riches. He emptied himself of his riches, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Ye you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. In uh, Romans 15.3, Romans 15.3, he emptied himself of his happiness, of his happiness. Romans 15.3, for even Christ pleased not himself as written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. And Psalm 22.1, Psalm 22.1, he emptied himself of his presence with God, his presence with God the Father. He emptied himself when he cried out in Psalm Twenty two one, Psalm twenty two one from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring. And ultimately, the highest, the pinnacle, in Psalm twenty two fourteen, Psalm twenty two fourteen, and Isaiah fifty three twelve, Isaiah 12, He emptied himself of his life. When it uses this very emptied himself term, poured out poured out himself, Psalm 22:14. 14, Psalm 22:14. 14, I am poured out like water, Isaiah 53, 12, Isaiah 53, 12, he hath poured out his soul unto death. He poured out, he emptied himself. Now, it's in the light of the Lord Jesus emptying himself that God the Father is so happy with him that he speaks about him. And it's interesting, when he speaks about him, it's just like God the Father is like an announcer that's come out on the stage in front of curtains down. And the curtains are down and the suspense is high and God the Father steps out and tells what he's going to show us. He's going to show us the most wonderful person when the curtain goes up. And this is the idea behind the word behold in verse 18, behold, which is coming from, Isaiah 42.1, Isaiah 42.1, but uh, verse 18, verse 18 says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. So this word behold is so important that the Lord Jesus told a parable to actually help us understand the importance of this word behold. And the parable is the parable of a landowner, a landowner. In Matthew 21, 33, Matthew 21, 33, he says, Here another parable. There was a certain householder or landholder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about. He digged a wine press, said it. He built a tower. He let it out to husbandmen or vine growers and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen, to the vine growers, that they might receive the fruits thereof. And the husbandmen took the servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him. Let's seize on the inheritance. They caught him, cast him out of the vineyard, killed him, slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he, is, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let, his vine- let out his vineyard to other husbandmen which shall render unto him the fruits in their season. So God the Father is like the landowner and the earth is like the vineyard and man on God's earth are like the vine growers and the son of the landowner, that's like the Lord Jesus Christ. So the landowner owns the vineyard. It's his vineyard, just like God owns the earth. Psalm, 24, Psalm 24, 1, 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness they're in, the world, and they that dwell therein. in. The landowner put the vine growers into his vineyard. He put them there to work his vineyard, to make, make, make wine for him, just like God put man on earth to work his earth. In Genesis 2.8, Genesis 2.8, the Lord, God planted a garden eastward for in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Genesis 2.15, Genesis 2.15, the Lord took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. The landowner then left his vineyard under the control of the vine growers, just like God left the earth under the control of man. And while the landowner was gone, the vine growers got the idea the landowner was never coming back, and so they took over the vineyard and they got the idea this could be their vineyard, and they stopped working for the vine, for the landowner. Just like man has gotten the idea that God doesn't care about what happens on earth, so man stops working for God. Genesis 6, 5, Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and grieved him at his heart. The landowner was very concerned about what was happening so to his vineyard, and so he sent his servants to the vine growers, and the vine growers, they beat one, they stoned another, they killed them. Just like God was very concerned about what was happening on his earth, and so he sent his prophets, and man killed the prophets. Jeremiah 7.25, Jeremiah 7.25. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Luke 11.47, Luke 11.47, woe unto you. You built the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Finally. The landowner thinks that if I send my son, my only son, that he is, for sure, the vine growers are gonna listen to, to him. Thinks, the landowner thinks that the vine growers are gonna listen to the landowner's only son. Mm-hmm. Matthew 21, 37, Matthew 21, 37. But last of all, he sent to them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. Just like God the Father, last of all, sent God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, thinking man's going to hear the Son. Matthew 17, 5, Matthew 17, 5, While he spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. So the landowner, he sends his son to the vineyard. He sends his son to the vineyard to speak to them, just like God the Father did send him. In 1 John 4 9, 1 John 4, 9, God sent his only begotten son into the world. But the vine growers kill the landowner's son, just like man killed God the Father's only begotten son. Acts 3:14, Acts 3:14. You denied the Holy One and just, desired a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life. Now, verse 18 in that in what we're studying here, our verse 18, Matthew 12, 18, expands on that part, that part there of the parable of this vineyard where the landowner is thinking, that when he sends his only son, that the vine growers are going to listen to him. See, this is an expansion of this thought, this thought, which is coming from Matthew 21:37. Matthew 21, 37. Last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they will reverence my son. So in verse 18, we're really getting a vision here of why God the Father thinks that that man is going to reverence his son. Verse 18, and there are four words that God is telling us, God says, of why God the Father thinks that man's going to listen and respond to his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus. And the first word is the word servant, my servant, my servant. The Lord Jesus was the perfect servant of God the Father, which meant that the Lord Jesus was the perfect representation of God the Father. Perfect. And from Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God, who at sundry times and diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us, by his son see god the father is speaking by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person so god the father is speaking through his son and his son is the express image of his person this is what the lord jesus said lord jesus said in john 14:9 john 14:9 jesus saith unto him he that hath seen me has seen the Father. So the Lord Jesus is the perfect servant of God the Father because he sacrifices his own will in order to do the will of God the Father. There's nothing in the Lord Jesus that you can ever say, oh, that's Jesus' opinion. It's not God's opinion. That's Jesus. It's not God the Father. You can't ever say that because when, 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 uh, in, in Luke 22:42, Luke 22:42, we see him sacrificing his own will, uh, where he says, "Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done." And in Hebrews 10:7, Hebrews 10:7, the Lord Jesus speaks, and he says, "Then said I. Lo, in the volume of book, it's written of me to do thy will." He says, "Lo, I come to do thy will." O God. And then in John 4.34, John 4.34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. In John 6.38, John 6.38, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. So the will of the Lord Jesus Christ was so perfectly aligned with the will of God the Father that when he came to earth, it might as well have been God the Father himself coming to earth in his own person because a perfect servant is not tested when his will aligns with the will of his master. A perfect servant is seen when the will of the servant does not agree with the will of the master and the servant chooses to obey the will of the master and that's why God the Father calls him my servant. And with those words, behold my servant, it was like God the Father was in the front of the curtain and he said, may I present to you. And he says, behold my servant. Then he says, whom I have chosen, whom I have chosen. Now, the whole basis for the Messiah or the anointed one, which is really what the Messiah means, the sent one, is that the Messiah was both chosen and sent. And the choice as to who to send as the Messiah was totally up to the sender, God the Father. There was no job opening posted in heaven for the Messiah. And uh, there was no announcement. Anyone can apply for the job of being the Messiah. The job of being the Messiah was not chosen by the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus did not aspire to be the Messiah. He did not thrust himself, throw himself forward to take the job of being the Messiah. He was chosen by God the Father because by far he was the best. Just like the parable, there was no job opening for being the son of the landowner. The son of the landowner was the son of the landowner because he was the son of the landowner. And the landowner was thinking, who of all would be the best representative of me? Who was the most like me? And who who should I choose for myself? And that's how the landowner came to the conclusion that it had to be his son. And the same was true of God the Father, as God the Father thought: who would be the best representative of me, God the Father? Who's the most like me? Who who should I choose? And that's how the God the Father chose the Lord Jesus to send him to earth. He chose the Son to come to earth as the sent one, as the Messiah. And that's why the Lord Jesus said in John five thirty six John 536, 5.36, The Father hath sent me. That's the essence of a Messiah of the Messiah. The Father has sent me. And that's why in verse eighteen, verse eighteen, the Father says He's the one whom I have chosen. I have chosen. Then He says He's my beloved. My beloved. Now. This was not some cold, sterile business arrangement between God the Father and God the Son. This was a warm, tender love between God the Father and God the Son. And that's why the Father was not ashamed to openly declare his love by the word beloved. Beloved as Matthew 3.17, Matthew 3.17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Another, twice, the Father speaks from heaven. That was the first time, and he called him beloved. Second time, Mark 9, 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. Again, the word beloved. So before God the Father sent God the Son, the Lord Jesus, into the earth, the relationship is described for us in Proverbs 8. Proverbs eight twenty two talks about, Proverbs eight twenty two talks about The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way. And he says um, in verse 30, in verse 30, Proverbs 8.30, then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. And why does the Father so especially love the Lord Jesus? Why does that? Because of his ultimate obedience, especially to death. In John 10, 17, John 10, 17, therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. And when God the Father speaks about how well pleased he is with God the Son, he says, my soul, God the Father is talking about his soul. This is the soul of God the Father. He says, my soul is well pleased in him. We never heard God the Father speak about his soul. But here, in the only place where God the Father speaks about his soul, he says in verse 18, verse 18, in whom my soul is well pleased. Now, these are the words that God the Father uses to speak about his son, his servant, his beloved, his soul is well pleased. And other places, he uses the word dear. In Colossians 1:13, 1.13, Colossians 1:13, he talks about the Lord Jesus who's delivered us from the power of darkness, translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, his dear son, his dear son. So all these words that God the Father is using to express his love and appreciation for God the Son are all here to show us who he is, This is who we've learned about him this morning. Let's pray, Father, thank you so much for sharing the greatest treasure you have, Father, the Lord Jesus. And uh, we tell you, he's our greatest treasure also, in Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day
1: studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, you can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, 330 Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org.